So Sermon on the Mount is to review is um, what, the king, what the children of the kingdom of God looks like. That's basically what the Sermon on the Mount is, what a Christian looks like, right? And we've been spending a lot of time like each week describing what a Christian should look like. But you know, at the end of the day, you can't be these things that Jesus wants you to be. You can't be poor in spirit. You can't be merciful. You can't hunger and thirst for righteousness unless you see God. Unless you see God, unless you experience him, unless you are in his presence, everything that he says in Matthew chapter 5 cannot happen to you. Everything that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5 is a result of your encounter with God. Without your encounter with God, Christianity is just a powerless set of ethical rules, no different from any other religion or moral, moral teachings. The underlying premise of the Sermon on the Mount is you need to see God. And to understand why this is, we first have to understand the name of God, right? So there is this like, thought that I was thinking about. I was praying a couple of weeks ago, and there's this thought that just like, entered my brain. And ever since then, I was like geeking out ever since. And I was telling everyone around me, at work, my family, right? Some of you in prayer meetings and you know, you know, in one-to-one counseling sessions. There's this thought that occupied my mind for the last two weeks, and I just had to like, geek it out. I had to tell my 10-year-old daughter what it was. And that thought, this profound thought, I'm going to share it to you right now. And this profound thought that I had two weeks ago is the fact that God is outside of you. (gasps) God is the reality that is outside of you. God, this is an important, simple but important concept because there are a lot of religions out there that says, no, there is no distinction between you and God. God is in you and you are in God and you you and God are one. That's called pantheism, and that's just stupid, right? Or there's a liberal theology out there that says, you know, Jesus loves you. There's no distinction between your morality and God's morality. Jesus just loves you. That's also very stupid. That's not the Bible, the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is, he is outside of you, and he is, he is different from you. And, that's, and, and the way you know this is that's what the name of God is. Remember Exodus chapter 3? Moses went to meet, meet, meets God and, God, sa- and God says, Moses, go to Egypt and deliver your people. And Moses says, uh, what do I say when people ask me who sent me? And God reveals his name to Moses. God says, I am the ascending you. I am who I am. The name of God is I am who I am. That's one of the names of what the meaning of Yahweh means. I am who I am. That's the name of God. Then what does the name I am mean? Right? Here I go again, as Pastor Eugen pointed out last week, defining terms. What does I am mean? There are many different theological really, like, explanations of what I am means. I'm not going to go through every single one of them. But one of the meaning of I am means is God existed before you and me, before anything, and God continuously exists outside of you. I am means God is not you. God is different from you, and he existed way before you and way after you. He will always exist. He is the person who exists outside of you. 
And this person who exists outside of you is a person. Obviously, he doesn't have a body like we do, but he has the personhood. And this person of God is the source of all goodness, is the source of all righteousness, is the source of all justice, is the source of all creativity, and is the source of love. The source of justice, goodness, kindness, creativity, love, everything. It's not within you. It is outside of you. I love reading Plato because this is part of the time where I sound really impressive. And one of the things I love about Plato is he says he loves music. And Plato says, I love music because music reminds me that there is beauty and truth outside of me. And that's exactly what God is. God is the source of goodness and love and truth and justice and kindness and righteousness who exists outside of you. These things are not in you. These things are outside of you. And what salvation is, is simply your internal reality conforming to who God is outside of you. That's what salvation is. Jesus died for you to forgive you, to make you righteous so that you will be able to see God and by seeing God, you will be transformed to who he is. Salvation, once again, is your internal reality. By your natural birth, you are not like God. You are not good. You are not truthful. You are not kind. You are not loving. You are not just. But when the Spirit of, when you are saved through Christ, when the Spirit of God enters you, you will begin to see God who is outside of you. And by seeing it outside of you, your internal reality starts to conform to who He is on the who He is. That's what salvation is. Is it clear, everyone? I told this to my ten-year-old daughter yesterday. She says that's a good sermon. She understands. So she understands. I'm pretty sure you understand. Is the ability to see God. And these qualities of the Sermon on the Mount are everyone who sees God. It happens to, like, qualities of the Sermon on the Mount is an internal reality that happens to a person when they start to see God. The tragedy of an unbeliever is that they cannot see God. The tragedy of the unbeliever is they're trapped within their own perception. They, don't, they can't see the truth and the beauty and the love and the kindness that is outside of them. They cannot have the, the, the wisdom that is outside of them. All they have, all they see is the inside. Look, most sins out there, you know, pretty much all the sins out there, I could kind of empathize, right? I could see why people do the things that they do. And the one group of people that I have a hard time empathizing initially were the transgender folks. I had no idea why they would feel the way they would feel. What is transgender? Transgenderism is their internal reality, how they feel on the inside, does not conform to their biology. Who they are in the inside does not conform to who they are on the outside. And I go, I don't understand why that is. And then I realized, I was thinking about my past, right? In my past, I was a fat kid, right? And it, you're all beautiful. I don't know how many of you were fat kids, but if you're a fat kid in your formative years, if girls tease you for being fat even you're little, you'll always think of your mind as a fat kid. Even now, I think I'm a fat kid. Maybe I am. Who I am on the outside, even, I, even if I can be skinny as real thin, in, in, inside, I always always think of, think of myself as fat. Similarly, transgender people, who they are on the inside. It's not conforming to who are they on the outside. But they cannot understand what they are on the outside because they're trapped 
within their internal perception. Transgenderism, I think it's, a, it's, it's, it's the sign of what all of us are go through, all of, all of unbelievers go through. God is the one who is beautiful, creative, kind, loving, just, and awesome. But they cannot, unbelievers cannot see that. All they have is their perceptions. But for the believer, you can see God. You can know God. You can see God. And you can be transformed by God. That's the life of a believer. That's what private worship is all about. You know what private worship is? Private worship is what you call quiet time, right? You know what private worship is? Is you open up the Bible and you learn about God so that you can see him and you can pray to him by telling him who he is and by doing so, you see him and you are transformed by him. That's what private worship is. Private worship is not, oh, I'm going to do my quiet time today. Oh, I don't want to do it, Okay. I'll do it before I sleep. Open up Philippians. Okay, I read a verse. I'm going to go to sleep. That's not, oh, I haven't banged in a pulpit in a while. That's not private worship. Private worship is not some, I don't know, this uh, religious duty they got to do. No, 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 no. Private worship is the day, every day you meet God through the Bible. You meet God through prayer. You understand who he is. You tell him who he is. You tell him you are not, you are not like him. You confess, and yet you understand Jesus loves you. That's what private worship is is. Look, if there is one thing that God used to bless this church, I think, is my private worship. And it's not because I'm awesome or anything like that, right? I'm clearly, all of you tell me that I'm not. But what I did ever since I got here is 1 a.m. to between 1 to 3 a.m. in the morning, for some reason, or on those times, I did it yesterday too, I have private worship sessions with God, Right? I am in my basement. Sometimes I'm outside of the room. I don't know where I am. I am in the basement or outside, and I open up the Bible, and I start reading about who God is. And I stop, and I tell them who he is. And as I tell them who he is, I'm being persuaded by who he is, and I begin to see him. And as I begin to see him, I look at myself, and I realize I'm not who he is. And I confess, I go, oh my gosh, I'm not you who you are, and I'm so horrible. And yet Jesus forgave me. And when I understand Jesus forgave me, that fills my heart with more praise. And I see him clearly again. So when you come to my house at 1 to 2 a.m. in the morning, you see me geeking out every night, especially Saturdays. That's private worship. And as I worship him like that, as I am clearly, clearly understanding of who he is like that, that understanding transfers over to the way I preach, to the way I counsel, to the way I lead prayer meetings. You know what I mean? Those who worship God, God uses to transform other people. And you can be such person when you see him. You can see him. You can. And when you see him, your life will change. The ministry will change. But if you don't see him, things are not going to change. You will never be the way he, you will never have the ethics of, uh, you will never be the way what he wants you to be. I don't want to call you guys out, but I am. And it's not, it's, not, it's not anything bad. So, I mean, I promised the prayer meeting people that I was going to do this. So, you know, we're having like different events coming up. 
right? We have the praise and prayer night next week, this, this Friday. I hope all of you come. We have the retreat coming up, right? But for those of you who are preparing for the prayer and prayers night, for the praise team and all the other people who are involved, and everyone who's involved in retreat planning, do you know what the best thing that you can do to prepare for that night? The best thing that you can do to prepare for that night is to worship God, meet God, see God, geek out over God this week. It's not just praying for the event, which is important, I suppose, but more important than actually praying for the event is you personally meeting God, seeing God, worshiping God. And as you do that, the Spirit of God comes out of you and, and through you, people see God. If you're leading praise, you must see God. If you're, if you're doing welcoming committee, you must see God. If you're leading small group, you must see God. If you are a husband or a wife or a parent, you must see God so that God's life will flow out of you. God's life will not flow out of a person who will say, oh, i got to get up in the morning and do my quiet time. Oh, I don't want to do it. Would God's life flow out of such a person? Would God use such a person? No. Only those who see him, God will use. And this is especially important in the matter that Jesus talks about today. Jesus is talking about righteous relationships. How a Christian treats another human being. But if you cannot see God clearly, you will not treat the other human beings the way he wants, you to, he wants you to treat them. God is righteous. And only those who see him can see God's righteousness and become transformed in conformity to his righteous standard. God is righteous. So what is righteousness? Pastor Rudin last week did a really good job defining what righteousness is. Right? But righteousness is the righteous standard of God. That is God's standard for everything. Then the term righteousness, I guess, is still a very, uh, theo- like a very complex theological topic. So Jesus gives specific examples of what righteousness, what righteousness of God looks like in regards to your, our relationship with his relationship with other human beings. What is God's righteous standard in the way he treats other human beings? What is, how does God think about other like, human beings? How does God think about human beings? And how does, other, like, how does God treat other human beings? What is God's righteous standard in his relationship with his, with, with his creation? God's righteous standard is he loves people. God's righteous standard is the love he has for people. The, the way he sees people and the way he treats people is love. Now, we have to be careful. When I say love, all of you will have different definition of what a love of God is. So Jesus gives you specific examples in the Sermon on the, on the Mount of what the love of God is. So God's righteous love towards human beings and the righteous love that he wants his people to have is this. God's definition of righteous love is, number one, not hating people. Number two, not lusting after people. Number three, not lying to people. Number four, forgiving people. Right? Those are the things that God is covering, Jesus is covering in the Sermon on the Mount. What is God's righteous love that he has for people? He doesn't hate them, meaning he, doesn't, he is not like, 
angry with him all the time. He doesn't express unnecessary anger. He doesn't insult them. He doesn't dehumanize them. He doesn't lust after them. He doesn't lie to them. And as people of God, we are not called to hate people. We are not called to use people in a lustful way. We are not called to lie to people. Living hateful, having hateful hearts, having lustful spirits, lying to people are unrighteous, and therefore, Jesus says, they deserve hellfire. Today, we're going to talk about the first one, the love that God has for people. Jesus says in verse 21, you have said of old, you have heard from old that do not murder. The you have heard from old, do not, what Jesus means by this is that during the Jewish time, right, um, there were many rabbinical scholars. There were, rabbis were basically teachers, scholars of the law of God. And these scholars, what their job was, their, their job was to interpret God's word, right? So, you know, the Ten Commandments and all the commandments of the Old Testament, these like, there were tr- historic like, rabbis who interpreted God's, God's law. And the common interpretation of the Sixth Commandment is this. The rabbi scholar says, we're ready for this very complex stuff. These r- rabbis thought, what the meaning of the Sixth Commandment, thou shalt not murder. The meaning of, this, meaning of this command is this. Don't kill people. He says, the rabbinical scholar says, as long as you don't kill people, right, you're obeying the Sixth Commandment. Pretty easy. Just don't kill people, and you're good. You're righteous, right? And many Jewish people believe that, including the Pharisees and the scribes. The tradition was, as long as you're not murdering someone, you're obeying the Sixth Commandment. Okay, we can do that, right? But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Those rabbinical scholars, that interpretation is a very shallow interpretation. The intent behind the Sixth Commandment, thou shalt not murder, is not just not prohibiting, like, killing of innocents. Jesus is saying the Sixth Commandment is really about how you treat another human being. And Jesus says today that if you're angry with a person unjustly, unnecessarily, then you are violating the Sixth Commandment. And if you violate the Sixth Commandment, that makes you unrighteous. And that makes you not a person of God. If you call someone raka, which I'm going to tell you the definition later, you are are violating the Sixth Commandment. Therefore, that makes you unrighteous. Therefore, you deserve judgment. If you call someone a fool, that is disobeying the Sixth Commandment. You are not living righteously. Therefore, you deserve the judgment of God. Jesus is talking about God's righteous standard in regards to your relationship with another human being. And the God's righteous standard is, do not be unnecessarily angry angry with them. Do not call them raka and do not call them fools. Doing so makes you unrighteous and therefore doing so makes you deserving of the judgment of God. Let's talk about these things individually. Anger. Jesus says, if you're you're unnecessarily angry with someone, with your brother, then the intent is the same as you committing a murder. Scripturally, by the way, a side note, 
being angry in and of itself is not a sin. Emotions is not a sin. Because Jesus got angry, right? Jesus got angry. When did Jesus get angry? Do you remember? He got angry at the Pharisees. He called them a bird of vipers. He got angry over the hypocrisy, their pride, and the fact that he's leading his people astray. He was really angry at them. He was angry at the money collectors. Remember? The money chargers in the temple, they were selling these pigeons and doves outside of the temple. They were taking advantage of people of God and the way they worship God. And they, they were like, you know, people were like basically selling admissions tickets to this. For example, it's like, you know, someone going out, one of the welcoming teams going out there, and like, if you want to come in, you've got to pay five bucks. Collecting money, and why would you? But, you know, they were charging people for worship. Jesus got really mad. God gets angry over sin. So anger is not the issue. Angry getting over things that are unnecessary, that are foolish, that are undeserving, that's the sin. Right? Look, people in a fallen humanity, people get angry over the wrong things. People don't get angry about the fact that millions of babies are being aborted. People don't get angry about the fact that, you know, there, like, there's sex trafficking going on in America. People, angry, people get angry by the fact that the movie studios hire the wrong Batman. People get angry by the fact that Star Wars, The Last Jedi was a horrible movie. The director got death threats. He got death threats because he ruined Star Wars. These people don't care about sex trafficking. They don't, that doesn't anger them. Oh, the movie stunk. People got, Game of Thrones creators got death threats, evidently, because season, the last season was horrible. People have misplaced anger. They get angry over the foolish thing. Not on the right thing. We, we, that's like that too. When, when do we get angry? You know who you are. You get angry when people inconvenience you. The slightest inconvenience angers you. Road rage, anyone? The server gets your order, delays your order, delay you getting your food at the restaurant for like 20 minutes. That angers me. It doesn't anger you. It angers you. It angers me. If you're slightly inconvenienced, you get angry. If someone does, thinks, or does things that you think is not right, you have no problem criticizing and be angry with them. In Korean, for those of you who are not Korean, I ask you for forgiveness. But for those of you who are Korean, if you say to your husband, Can't you do this? You can't even do this? Oh, I'm, I'm hurting people right now. Oh. As humorous as that is, that is evil, Jesus says. Where else do you get mad? You get mad when you don't have your way. You don't get your way. You get angry just by someone being annoying. There's no reason why a person is annoying. You, you're just annoyed by that person and you're mad. All these things we laugh, we understand, because it's very common, and perhaps you do it too. But in the eyes of God, 
That is unrighteous. That is not the way he treats other human beings. Anger, what does anger do? Anger destroys things, doesn't it? Got this from Tim Keller. What does anger do, according to Tim Keller? Three things. Number one, it destroys your health. If you're an angry person, you have a high blood pressure, you're going to die early, basically. Anger destroys your wisdom, according to Keller. And that's true. When you're really mad, you say stupid things. And when after you, after you come down, you look back on what you said, you go, oh, I said that? It destroys your wisdom. And thirdly, it destroys relationships. It does. Words spoken out of anger, in anger, things that are done out of anger, it destroys relationships. And I'm pretty sure all of you have experienced such things. Being angry at a person is unrighteous. It's not God. It's sin. Calling someone Raka, Jesus says, is also unrighteous. What does Raka mean? Raka basically means blockhead, right? You rockhead. But it's not, it's not a term necessarily used to insult someone's intelligence. It is a term that was commonly used during the Jewish time to dehumanize someone. When you call someone Raka, you're saying to someone, you are worthless. You have no value as a human being. You are beneath me. That's what Raka, that's what Raka means. You dehumanize people. A person or a group of people you don't think are human beings, and you have no problem using them and mistreating them however you wish. Isn't that the basis of racism? That's what racism is, isn't it? A group of people you think are beneath you. Therefore, you can mistreat them. You don't have to respect them. You can mistreat them. That's behind pornography, right? Pornography is you're participating in a dehumanization of another human being. I was reading a story about like a porn producer turned Christian. And one of the ways, one of the reasons God used, one of the things that God, events that God used to turn him to Christianity was when he was a porn producer, he used to recruit young 18, 19 year old girls. They're young, innocent, right? They want, make, they want to make fast money. And because society seemingly accepts pornography, they didn't think there was anything wrong. So this guy, he remembers, recruiting this one person, one, one young woman. And when she, was, when she came into her office, she was like young, full of life. Right? Like, you know, like, like twinkle in her eyes, right? But the more he made movies with her, he could see her wasting away. Maybe externally, well, she was fine. But the soul, her soul, you could see was beginning drained out of her. And when he saw her turning like that, he repented. Pornography, you're dehumanizing someone. You are. Right? That's what we, we do. We dehumanize people. When you, when you slander someone, when you talk bad about them, you, because, you know, we're all, most of us are Asian Americans, right? We're, we, we, don't, we don't confront people head to head. We're very passive-aggressive, right? When you passive-aggressively gossip about them, says all sorts of crap about them, 
You're doing it because you dehumanize that person in your mind. Because that person is no longer a human being, you have no problem pitting all sorts of insults against that person. Doing so is a violation of the Sixth Commandment. It makes you unrighteous. Jesus says, you fool. If you call someone a fool, you are, you, are, you are violating the Sixth Commandment. The word fool, once again, he's not really, doesn't really, the word fool here means more, and that's where we get the term moron from. Moron, we use moron as a person who's not very smart. But Jesus' use the word more means you think someone has, has, is immoral, basically. You think someone is beneath your moral standards. Basically, you consider that person a sinner. And you're condemning that person in your heart. That's what moray is. And you see this everywhere, right? Democrats really consider Republicans evil. They do. Democrats really think Donald Trump is the devil. They really do. Donald Trump is responsible for the mass shootings, they say, of what happened last week. Everything that is wrong with society, Democrats say, is Donald Trump and the Republicans. Republicans are not just people who differ them politically. They are evil. And they need to be eradicated. That's why, you know, the presidential, the Democratic presidential nominee have no problem call, using the F word to Donald Trump during the debate. That's why they have no problem saying, Joe Biden, 80-year-old Joe Biden says, I want to take Trump and I want to punch his face. That's what he said. They have no guilt about saying such things. Because Donald Trump is immoral, they say. Republicans do the same thing to the Democrats. They are socialist, progressive Nazis. Not Nazis, communists. They're going to ruin this country. They are forced to be eradicated. We pass value judgment against human beings all the time, don't we not? That person is immoral. That person is not right. That person is wrong. And you stand judgment. Gay people, they're evil, they're wrong. They should all go to hell. Right? Fundamental Christians, they're bigots, they all should all go to hell. Isn't that what society is, basically? One group of people having the moral superiority over other group of people. That's why society is divided. Jesus says, if you do these things, if you, are, if you are angry towards another human being, if you dehumanize them, if you think you're morally more superior than other human beings, you are not righteous. You are unrighteous. You don't belong to God. You deserve judgment. What, and this is so important. Jesus says, how you treat other people is the sign that you're righteous. Not so much what you do religiously is a sign of righteous. Doing religious things is important. But a clear sign of whether you are truly have a right relationship with God is not what you do religiously. It's not the religious activities that you're involved in. But how you treat another human being. That's what Jesus says in verse 23. Jesus, Jesus says verse 23, like, this is like, you're in, you're in, you're in a worship setting, and it's a time to give offering. 
right, to the God, right, during the worship service, it's time to give offering to God. But if you realize that you, that you have wronged a brother, stop worshiping, go to that brother and be reconciled. What does Jesus mean? Jesus means, as important as religious worship is, a clear indication of whether you are righteous is, is how you treat another human being. We religious folks, right? We think as long as we somehow participate in some religious function, as long as we come to church, as long as we leave small group, as long as we, as long as we do something, then that somehow gives us a license to mistreat people. I'm jealous of, of that person, but it's okay. I, I serve the church. I don't like that person. I'm okay. I'm a pastor. Right? I, I do this for God. Therefore, I can, I can hate my parents. I can hate my, my husband and wife. I can, I, can, I can mistreat people as long as I come to, as long as do things in his name. Jesus says, no, that's not true. The sign of righteousness is not religious activity, but how you treat another human being. You can do all sorts of things in his name, but if you get angry, if you dehumanize, if you pass judgment on people, you do not know him. You are not righteous. You are outside of his will. Oh, so depressing. Then how do we change? That's, a, that's what, how everyone's born, by the way. We're all born angry at certain people. We're all born dehumanizing other people. We, all, we are born passing judgment against people. That's how we're born. That's the condition of natural man. The question is, how do we change? We go back to the first point. In fact, first point is, you got to see God. You got to see His righteous standard. His righteousness. You, you have to understand how He sees other people. You have to understand his righteous standard about other people. And most importantly, your internal reality has to conform to his righteousness. And the only way that you do that is through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ comes to give you a new heart. Jesus Christ has come to open your eyes to the righteousness of God. And as you see the righteousness of God, the way you see people and the way you treat people will change. It will few examples. You will encounter people in your life where people will disapprove of you, right? Whether it is your parents, whether it is your, I don't know, your boss, whatever. You will encounter people where you know that they will disapprove of you. How do you overcome the fact that they disapprove of you? And how do you love them? You have to understand that even though you were inherently disapprovable, God accepted you. I'll give you an example. When I was a kid, not a kid, the first girl that I fell in love with, like I wasn't crazy over, over with, Caleb, don't tell your mom, right? right? Okay, the first girl that I was ignorantly thought was love, but which was not love because my wife is true love, right? I was crazy about her, but her parents didn't like me. Right? Her parents didn't like me. And she told me that her parents didn't like me. I go, why? It's me. 
for whatever reason, I can give you a laundry list of why they didn't like me. I think the number one reason, they didn't like the fact that I was going to go to seminary. Right? They didn't like the fact that I was like a Jesus freak, basically. Right? They didn't see, they didn't like the fact that I wasn't outdoorsy. I don't, do I convey it as a guy who, who's good with outdoorsy things? No. Right? I'm not a very handy man. I'm not a man's man, basically. And I knew her mom disapproved of me. And she said, I want you to meet my mom. And so I was on my way to, to meet her. And I was thinking about, constantly thinking about the fact that that woman disapproves of me. So you know what I did? I turned around and didn't go. Right? And I broke up with her. I would rather break up with someone than be with someone that doesn't, whose parents disapprove of me. But if you think about it, if I think about it, there are many reasons why her parents disapprove of me. But there are more reasons why God would disapprove of me. There is. I can give you a laundry list of, of all the reasons why he should be disapproving of me. I'm not going to confess all my sins to you. But in me, I know, lies the evil, all the evil in the world. But the fact that he approved of me, the fact that he calls me righteous in Christ, the fact that I am his son, the fact that I am approved by God himself through Christ, that sense of approval and love and acceptance, when I think about it, gives me the ability to love and be patient with people who disapprove of me. When I see how Christ loved me, I start to see people the way God starts to see people. And I start to treat them accordingly. There's a church in Korea called Urigue Art Church, and that church is famous for like, broken families getting healed. Right? All the families in that church come to that church after their marriages start to implode. Right? Koreans, we implode marriages, right? There is abuse, there's neglect, there is chauvinism, there's alcoholism, there's adultery, right? We, we mistreat our families right in Korea, right? It's like once I was teaching English to a guy, and like he told me about his, he's married, and he told me about his like activities when he goes out drinking with his friends. And I go, what, what do you do after you go drinking with your friends? He says, oh, we go to, we hire a prostitute and we have, we have sex with them. I go, isn't that adultery? He says, nope, because I don't have a relationship with that woman, and it's just you know ten minutes, right, right. It's it's not adultery. You're out of your mind. And I think, and I said, do most people of your friends feel that way? They go, yeah. So broken families are there's a lot of them in Korea, and they come to this church to be healed. There's so many families, that, and, and, and a lot of families are healed simply because the gospel is preached. Simply because husband and wife start to see themselves through the lens of the gospel. One guy that I know, his wife cheated on him, was pregnant with the lover's baby, right? And he was just like a mess, right? 
But rather than, you know, so like he's a big one bun, like love child is here, he has two kids on his own, he's like crazy. How would you stay? I, I don't think I could stay. How would you stay? And his, and his testimony is this. If I betrayed God consistently, and I do unspeakable things, you just don't know, but, but only God knows about. But if Jesus Christ forgives me, how can I not forgive my wife? Right? And that's the only reason he stays. When you see God's love for you, when that love transforms you, you will see other people through his lens and not in your own limited lens. And that's why you don't get, that's why when you see people through his eyes, you don't get as angry with people as you once did. You feel horrible. You don't dehumanize people. By the way, many guys to overcome pornography, it's not because they feel guilty about watching porn that made them overcome it. They overcome it because they start to see the people that they're fantasizing about as another human being. And when you start to see that as another human being, when you start seeing them as another human being, that desire just leaves you. In Christ, that's possible. When you know that you're a sinner, and when you know that your standard is so low compared to God's standard, and yet God forgive you anyway, you will not start judging people based on your fallen standards. That's how it works. When you see him, he will change your insights. He will change the way you look at human beings. And as you do, your relationship will start to bear fruit. If you don't see him, you're trapped within your own perception. You cannot get help but to be angry at people for violating you. You cannot help dehumanizing people. You cannot help judging them. For those of you for interpersonal issues, I don't know what your interpersonal issues are. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a husband that doesn't listen. Maybe it's a wife that complains. I don't know. Maybe it's a parent who are, who are just, you know, you know, just, just really strict. I don't know what your interpersonal relationships are. But the hope is not that they will change, because they won't change. Let's be honest, they won't change. The hope is that how you see them changes. changes. So if you have interpersonal issues, the best thing that you can do is to see God. Like I told you before, open up your Bibles. Come to church through the ministry of the church, through, I don't know, through your personal worship time with God, through your understanding of who God is. Just see God. Look, last story, and, I'll, and like, I'm, I'm not trying to sell Friday night prayer meetings, but I'm trying to sell Friday night prayer meetings. So on Friday, it was so wonderful, right? You know what we did? Like, there's six of us get together. Six of us got together, and we prayed. We dissected Psalm 97 together. And by dissecting, I mean me asking questions, they're giving one-word answers, and I'm me basically preaching. Right? So we dissected Psalm 97 together. We prayed mighty prayers together. And after prayer, 
we sat around and we discussed about God. And there were people in that prayer meeting who came with broken relationships. But after the prayer meeting, they felt good. They felt, they felt healed, they say. You know why they felt good and healed after the prayer meeting? It's because throughout through the, through two hours, we just worshipped and saw God together. That's how it's supposed to work. Interpersonal relationship can only work when you see God. So don't be like, oh, i got to do quiet time. Oh, I don't want to do it. Don't be like that. Your relationship will suffer if you do that. Geek out. Open up the word. <gasps> this is God. This is how much he loves me. This is how sovereign he is. Geek out over God. See him and let him transform you. That's how, it's, that's how it's supposed to work. Let's pray.